0: Thank you, church, uh, for your involvement in the homeless student outreach. Uh, I think we have a picture to, uh, for the homeless student outreach. There we have it. Okay. That was last Monday, and that is uh, Sarah, Becky, Allie, and Christina, who took um, all of the clothing that you provided, and by the way, there's a few dollars represented there that have been given in generosity To help uh, students and boys' underwear. There's another 34 pairs of men or boys' shoes, 50 packages of women's or girls' underwear, 29 pairs of women or girls' shoes, 32 pairs of snow pants, 7 coats, and 25 other things. Thank you, church, for your generosity. It's an opportunity. I think this is going to be way too dim. This one is dim to you. Okay, thank you. I can't see, but you can probably see better. Um, Bridge Kids, you're dismissed. Thank you for joining us for worship. We're in Acts chapter 24. If you want to turn in your Bibles or your uh, smart gadget with the U version, Acts chapter 24. That's on page 778 if you use the Bible, if you grabbed one coming in this morning. In his book entitled The Trust Edge, business consultant David Horsager uh, contends, listen to this, trust, not money, is the currency of business and life. Trust, not money, is the currency of business and life. His conclusions are based on a study in 2009 with over 4,000 people from 20 countries. And here were some of the results. Here's what they found. When people trust a company, 91% choose to buy from them. Trust is a good thing. 76% of those surveyed recommended them to a friend. 55% were willing to pay a premium to do business with them. 42% will share their positive experience online, and 26% even bought shares in the company. Trust is good. In contrast, the study also found when people distrust a company, 77% refused to buy from them, 72% even criticized the company to their friends or colleagues, 34% shared negative experiences online, and 17% and I don't know where this comes from exactly, but 17% sold their shares So, um, in that company. When you trust someone, it makes a great deal of difference in life. Trust is an essential on how God has designed the church. If you trust your leaders, if you trust your brothers and sisters in Christ, you're probably going to... Um, Recommend your church to a friend, or if you distrust the members and its leaders, you're probably going to have a negative or a critical comment to your friends. Uh, Trust is an essential element in how God has designed the family. God has designed the family to be a safe place where uh, husband and wife have a deep trust in each other. That's what's going to make for a healthy marriage. And for uh, children to trust and feel safe with their parents. And for parents to trust their kids. That makes for good homes, too. Um, trust is an essential part of God's design for the family. Trust is essential in friendships. Breaking a trust can cause deep hurt. Trust is extremely important for friendships. It's also an essential part of our relationship with God. Hebrews eleven six says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Trust or faith, they're synonyms. Uh, without faith, without trust, it's impossible to please God. The righteous will live by faith or trust, Romans 1:17. For by grace are you saved through faith, Ephesians 2, 8. Trust in God is essential in our relationship with God. The Apostle Paul, these were great and where things were very, very difficult. Acts 24 is one more of those ongoing difficulties that Paul experienced in his ministry. In Acts 23, Paul had appeared before the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem. And uh, if you remember, he was uh, grabbed and then arrested at the temple, caused a commotion in Acts 22, and then in Acts 23, he has to appear and defend himself before the Sanhedrin. The thank you, the uh, leaders in uh, of of the rulers, the the seventy uh, Sadducees and Pharisees, religious leaders who were who were the ruling council in Jerusalem, basically for all of the nation. There was no king in Israel during these days. Um, so in Acts 23, uh, Paul is arrested, and uh, he sees, carts him off at night, at 9 o'clock at night, transfers him from uh, Jerusalem, about 65 miles away, to Caesarea. I think we have a map. So I'm, I'm showing the map too early, but we're going to need it anyway. So Jerusalem is where the temple is. That's where Paul was arrested. He's taken to Caesarea. Paul is now in Caesarea. And we should go back and show, uh, number one, the prosecution, because we begin in chapter 24, verses 1 through 9. If you follow in your outline, and I would encourage you to, you're going to learn more, actually, when you take notes. Some of you hate to take notes. You don't have to take notes. Uh, but It might help you. So the prosecution, the prosecution arrives in verse 1. It happens five days later. Five days after what? After five days after Paul had arrived in Caesarea from Jerusalem. And um, why did he go down? Even though Caesarea is northwest, it's because of the higher elevation. Everything from Jerusalem is considered down. Um, The high priest... Ananias went down to Caesarea. This is important. The high priest of Israel, the most important human being in Israel for this day and age, is going to Caesarea, 65 miles away, two days' journey for Paul to nail Paul. And uh, so the high priest, Ananias, went down to Caesarea with some of the elders other Sanhedrin members uh, from Jerusalem, and they, along with a lawyer named Tertullus, they hired the professional. They went with a big city lawyer. This is a big gun to take to Caesarea. Please remember, Caesarea is the Roman military base. It's a Roman caress. And the Romans come to Caesarea, and they spread out across the country. Jerusalem is the most important city in Israel, and so they have a fortress, Antonio, at the temple. But uh, Caesarea is the chief city for the Romans. So this was a major play. The high priest traveling to Caesarea. And they brought their charges against Paul before the governor. The governor's name is Felix. Felix. So let's go on to the opening remarks, verses two through four. The remarks of Tertullus, the, this professional rhetor. Uh, he's a professional speaker. Verse two: When Paul was called in, Tertullus presented his case before Felix, and so here he goes. He's a professional. We have enjoyed a long period of peace under you, not true. There has been turmoil and strife. And violence since Felix has been there. Felix is a violence in violence. This is going to be such a big deal. Is within two years. Felix the governor. Roman governor of Israel. Will be called to Rome. And his job will be taken away by the emperor. So. This is called flattery. We've enjoyed a long period of peace under you. And your foresight has brought about reforms in this nation. Not true. Nation is very undersettled, unsettled with Rome. And Felix is about to be recalled. Verse 3, everywhere in every way, most excellent Felix. How we respect you. We acknowledge this with profound gratitude. Not true. They don't. They are not thankful for Felix. They're going to do everything in their power to get him out. And they're going to accomplish it. Verse 4, but in order not to weary you further... I would request that you be kind enough to hear us briefly. And the charges come in verses five through six. He said, "Tertullus says we have found riots among the Jews all over the world. This this guy is a problem for Rome. You know the Rome is all about the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. They ruled with an iron fist, with the Roman law. You must keep the law." and we are going to have peace, or we're going to crush you. That's kind of how Rome worked. It did provide some safety and security for law-abiding citizens. And so they're trying to present Paul as a troublemaker. charge. So he's a troublemaker all over the world? Well, that's not quite true. He has been in places where controversy has been stirred up about him. Says he is a ringleader of the Nazarene sect. This is bad. Um, he's a, he's creating a conspiracy in Rome, in the Roman Empire. That's the charge against Paul. Um, he's a ringleader of those dangerous Nazarenes. Who are they? But this is about Nazarene. Jesus was from Nazareth, and people who lived in Nazareth were Nazarenes, and. Uh, The reference here is to those who are following Jesus because Jesus was of Nazareth. And there is a sect, they're saying, a religious group out of this city, and it's just Jesus. And Paul is considered the ringleader of this uh, sect. And Tertullus is making innuendos that Paul is rebellious and seditious. He's divisive in the Roman Empire. Verse 6, not only that, he even tried to desecrate the temple, so we seized him. Well, no, that's not true either. Paul didn't try to desecrate the temple. Paul, if you remember, was accused of taking a Gentile into the temple where Gentiles were not supposed to go, but that wasn't even true. Mr. Felix, You will be able to learn about the truth, about all these charges we're bringing against him. So go ahead, Felix. You're a smart man. We know you can figure this out. And by the way, Felix, you owe us one because you're in trouble. The agreement, verse 9. Then the other Jews, that would be the high priest and other members of the Sanhedrin who had come to Caesarea. uh, They joined in the accusation. Asserting these things were true. So it's sort of like the louder that these people chime in and agree with Tertullus, uh, the more true it would be. Verses 10 through 21, we have the defense. Paul makes a defense. His opening remarks is verse 10. When the governor motioned for him to speak, Paul replied, I know that for a number of years you have been judge over this nation, so I will gladly make my uh, defense. No flattery. Um, he's not going to butter up Felix. He just, maybe eight years or so. And here Paul gladly makes his defense. He gets to speak the truth. It's really good news. He will get be given the opportunity to tell Felix who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. He's going to be a witness before the governor of Israel. He's going to make a defense. He gladly gives a defense. And uh, Peter refers to this in 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 15, this opportunity. Paul was given this opportunity and Paul was ready to make a defense. Here's what Peter said. He says, "But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord." The idea is there is place him as Lord. Put him first in your life and then be ready. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do, not, but do this with gentleness and respect. Well, there's a great response for any Christian in any situation in 2016. Respond with gentleness and respect of people. Uh, always be prepared to give an answer. Um, New American Standard says, always be prepared to give a defense. That's my favorite word. Defense here is apologia. It's it's where we get the concept of apologetics in the Christian faith. It's being able to defend the faith. And it uh, behooves us as followers of Christ to know some basic things about defending the faith. How do we answer people's questions? We can prepare some. We can learn some of those things. What do people ask? We can learn some of those answers. So I just want to encourage you to grow in your knowledge of questions that people ask so that you can be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks you. You know, sometimes people just come up and ask and say, what is it that makes you different? Or I just know the time you've been through a lot and yet you seem to care about each other so much. What is it? Or what is it about the way you're raising your kids? You have the same challenges we all have, but your kids seem to be thriving, and they seem to respect you. What is that all about? People notice when you walk with Christ. Be ready to give a reason when people ask you about that hope that you have, the hope, the hope of eternal life, the hope of heaven, the knowledge of forgiveness of sin. I didn't deserve it. I need to share that with other people. So, um, that's, uh, Paul gladly gives a defense. And why is he so glad to give a defense? Romans 1.16, I think, is a good reminder. For Paul says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. He's not afraid to share the gospel. He's not embarrassed by it. He knows that everybody can't understand it and doesn't understand it. But he's not ashamed about it. And guess what? It's the power of God. Because in the gospel, there's power that comes from God. It's God's word, it's God's truth, and God's power is in it. And that's why we need to share it. Because it's, it's beyond my ability to convince people of truth. I can't argue people into the kingdom. You can't argue people in the kingdom. But God can open hearts. God can give understanding at the right time. And enable people... To believe and see it trust in jesus christ now the testimony of the accused back to our trial verses 11 through 13 paul gives his defense paul says you can easily verify that no more than 12 days ago i went to jerusalem to worship he's saying felix this isn't this isn't difficult um i have nothing to hide here just search out the facts 12 days ago I went up to Jerusalem to worship. I didn't go up to start a riot. You can check this out. Twelve days ago. I've been here five days. That meant seven days I was in Jerusalem. I didn't have a lot to worship to start a riot in Jerusalem and to stir up a rebellion. He said, I went up to worship. Verse 12, my accusers did not find me arguing with anyone at the temple. Back in Jerusalem, before the Sanhedrin, when Paul gave his defense there, they had no witnesses. No witnesses came forward. They had no proof. And here they are in Caesarea without proof. My accusers did not find me arguing with anyone at the temple. In fact, it was their accusers who started the riot. Remember that? The accusers accused Paul of bringing a Gentile into the temple. They accused him of stirring up the crowd in the synagogues or anywhere else in the city. Verse 13, and they cannot prove to you the charges they are now making against me because there's no proof. And then Paul makes a confession in verses 14 through 16. He says, However, I admit that I worship the God of our ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. I worship the true and living God. I am guilty of that. If you want to put me to death for that, it's okay. I admit that I worship God of our ancestors as a follower of the way. What We've heard that before. Who? What is the way? Well, It's the way of Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's being a follower of Jesus. And that was a term that early critics called the church. Those who followed Jesus were called the the way. And so Paul says, I admit, I'm a follower of the way, which they call a sect. It's not really a sect. A sect would be something heretical, something false. And Paul's saying, I followed the way. Because it's not a sect, it's not a heretical deviation, it's actually a fulfillment of the Jewish faith. It's actually a fulfillment of the Old Testament uh, scriptures. He goes on to say in verse 14, I believe everything that is in accordance with the law and that is written in the prophets. Paul is saying, I believe it all, all of the Old Testament, all Twenty-three books in the Jewish Old Testament, and we have 39, and it's the same books because they're counted differently. Paul believes in everything in the Old Testament. Verse 15, I have the same hope in God as these men themselves have that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the dead. Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Paul has a hope about the resurrection of the dead. For the righteous to eternal life and for the wicked to an eternal death a resurrection by the way do you have a hope in the resurrection it's been an essential truth of the church for 2000 years Jesus resurrected from the dead and Jesus said those who believe will be resurrected. And those who don't believe will be res- resurrection. I don't believe it because, gee, isn't it convenient or isn't it nice? And oh, wouldn't it be nice to be resurrected somehow? I don't understand it. But the scriptures are clear about the resurrection. It is a core truth. Matter of fact, it's a core part of the bridge doctrinal statement. If you became a member of the bridge... We studied this, and you made a commitment to our doctrinal statement. Do you have the hope of the resurrection? Where there's going to be no more tear, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more cancer, no more death. By the way, that, Revelation 21, takes place after the resurrection. The actions of the accused, verses 17 and 18... He says, after the absence of several years, meaning Paul had been away from Jerusalem for maybe 10 years, he said, I came to Jerusalem to bring my people gifts for the poor and to present offerings. And now we learn of Paul's primary reason to go to Jerusalem in the first place. In Paul's third missionary journey, we kept seeing Paul wanting to go to Jerusalem. He wanted to go to Jerusalem, and this was never spelled out. But we knew about it because it's stated right here. And Paul had gathered a group of other church leaders from other churches on his third missionary journey. They were carrying the financial resources given by the churches. It was a huge sum of money. And Paul wasn't carrying it by himself or with a couple of guys. He was traveling with a large group. They were bringing gold to Jerusalem to give. the poor to provide for the struggling believers in in jerusalem and paul came to bring these gifts and uh, so he came into the city with a large amount of money and he came to present offerings thank offerings he was also involved in making offerings for the um And that indicated his desire to keep the Old Testament law, he wasn't required as a believer to make these offerings, but that was a part of his commitment to to the Jewish law and the commitment to Jewish traditions. And he was willing to, to submit to those and practice those. And he wasn't asking Gentiles to practice those. He says, I was ceremonially clean when they found me in the temple. Hey, I'm not the enemy of the Jewish people. I'm following... The law, I'm following God's word. There was no crowd with me. He says, I was there by myself. I, was, I wasn't involved in a disturbance. But it was the, the Jewish people who came up that caused the disturbance. And, and they, they caused a riot. Uh, the antagonist of the accused, verses 19 through 21. And Paul says, but there are some Jews from the province of Asia. Who are they? Acts 19, the riot in Ephesus. There were a group. Remember the riot in Ephesus? There was the silversmith Demetrius who uh, stirred up the the crowd at Ephesus because Demetrius was a silversmith. And in Ephesus, they worshipped the the goddess Artemis, the one who had fell from heaven, the many-breasted goddess who fell from heaven as a meteor. And uh, they made little silver. Trinkets and people uh, worshiped those, and they bought them, and they took them to the uh, to the place of worship, and they even laid those down to worship, so they they sold them, and they probably could just resell them too i don 't know and uh, but so many people had come to faith in Ephesus that people stopped spending so much money on the silver trade, and so it was affecting the economy in Ephesus, so Demetrius stirs up a crowd, and there just happened to be some Jews in the city who were after Paul at the same time. And uh, they end up uh, jumping in at the end of Acts 19. And they followed Paul to Jerusalem, by the way. They were the ones who antagonized the crowd in Jerusalem. Same group. Verse 20. Or those who here should state what crime they found in me. Who, who can say what crime I have done uh, when I stood before the Sanhedrin? There are no witnesses. Verse 21, unless it was this one thing I shouted as I stood in their presence, it is concerning the resurrection of the dead that I'm on trial for before you today. He's saying, there's no facts about me stirring up people against Rome and starting a riot. If I'm on trial for anything, it's because I believe in the resurrection. And guess what? That is not a crime. That is a commitment of the Jewish faith. That is a religious issue. It is not a criminal issue. And, the, and the, this is how the Romans are going to see it. And this is going to have a big impact. I'm going to jump to uh, number three, the delay, verses 22 through 27. Um, so Paul had given his defense, and uh, we, we can assume that in this defense, it's kind of a, just a summary, a capsule. A, Luke doesn't write down every word that happened, but he, he gives us the, the highlights, the main, main features of the, de- the defense at this point. And now there's going to be a delay in justice, verses 22 through 27. The reason for the delay, verse 22, then Felix, who is the governor, the Roman governor, governor he was well acquainted with the way. He had some background with Christianity. He's been around for 10 years, or 8 years by now, and he's gonna, the total will be 10. And uh, he's been around for 8 years, and he knows some things about Christianity. He's heard about Jesus and his uh, crucifixion and Pilate, and he's heard about uh, how Christianity spread, and uh, the tension between the Jewish people and the and Christians. And so... Uh, Felix, who was well acquainted with the way, adjourned the proceedings. He just stopped that. He, and then he says, when Lysias, the commander, he's the Roman military commander, who uh, sent Paul, he, he, he arrested him in Jerusalem, and then he ordered uh, Paul to be sent to Caesarea at 9 o'clock at night with 470 troops. Remember that? Kind of a safe way to do this. He said, I will decide your case when Lysias, the commander, comes. So Felix is saying, okay, I need more information. Lysias is my Roman commander who arrested Paul. I need to hear the facts from him, so I'm going to wait. And so it was kind of a convenient way to put Paul on hold. And then we see the condition of Paul's custody, verse 23. He ordered the centurion to keep Paul under guard, but to give him some freedom and permit his friends to take care of his needs this shows Felix didn't think Paul was very guilty this is really lenient he knows Paul's a Roman citizen but he's going to give Paul some freedom he's going to allow Paul's friends to come and to provide for him to, to provide for his needs and uh, to take care of him, to be in relationship with him. So Paul's probably going to have some small groups and probably can continue in discipleship, probably going to have some opportunities for evangelism as well. Verses 24 through 26, we see Paul, the government witness. Several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish. So this suggests there's a period of time where Felix left Paul back in Caesarea, sort of under house arrest where Paul could be with his friends and had some freedom. Felix leaves, and then Felix comes back with his young wife, Drusilla, who's maybe 18 or 19 years old. Drusilla has been married before to another king in Syria, a small province in Syria, and Felix has lured lured her away from her husband. So now Felix has a young wife, We know that she was born in 38 A.D. And he has a young wife, probably still a teenager, and she is a Jewish. She has a Jewish background. By the way, this is Felix's third wife. And all of his wives have had a royal descent. Uh, He's apparently quite a ladies' man. And um, the interesting thing about Felix is. Felix had been a former slave. And um, Emperor uh, Claudius freed him and appointed him to be governor in Israel. So uh, this is a unique situation, and yet he's able to marry three different women of royal descent. Drusilla, the teenage wife, was a Jewess. She was a daughter of Herod Agrippa I, and he is the one who killed the Apostle James in Acts 12. She has some background. Her great-uncle, Herod, beheaded John the Baptist, by the way. And then there there was her grandfather, Herod, who uh, killed the babies... When, after Jesus was born in an attempt to kill the Messiah, or the next the king of Israel. So, um, he sent for Paul. So, several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was a Jewish. He sent for Paul, Felix sent for Paul, and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. So Felix calls Paul, and it's sort of like he wants to know more. He's curious about Paul. He's curious about this Nazarene sect. He's curious about what Paul believes. And Paul has an opportunity to talk about his faith in Christ, about what it it means that Jesus Christ is God's son and the Messiah, the promised one of Israel, and how these prophecies fit together about who Jesus is. And why Jesus was crucified in Jerusalem. And why the resurrection of Jesus Christ was so important. And how it fulfills prophecies in the Old Testament. And how Jesus' death on the cross would pay the penalty for sin. And that anyone can have eternal life by placing their faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul got to talk to Felix about this. So he sent for Paul and he listened to him. Verse 25, as Paul talked about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. That's what Paul talked about. Righteousness. What does it mean to be a, have a righteous life? How do you get a righteous life? And, and how do people without Christ live? And um, Paul talked to Felix about God's perspective, perspective about righteous living. And the significance of self-control, because I think Felix struggled with self-control in the whole area of sexual immorality. Uh, the whole idea of self-control as it relates to maybe substance abuse or gluttony or things that were common in Felix's day, a lack of self-control. And then the judgment to come. Um, That there's a time coming where where God is going to hold people accountable for their lives. For who they are and what they've done and what they did with the Lord Jesus. Felix had real guilt. Paul's talks had an impact on Felix's life. It says Felix was afraid. This is an intense word. His fear was very significant in his life. Felix was afraid and said, that's enough for now, Paul. You may leave, and when I find it convenient, I will send for you. He wants to put it off. He's not necessarily done, but it's too much right now. He needs some space. Paul, I'll let you know when I want to talk more. Verse 26, at the same time, he was hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe. Because... Felix was also concerned about greed. More and more of what he had enough of already. He was hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe, so he sent for him frequently and talked with him. Felix, I think, was genuinely interested to learn about Christ. But like a lot of us, he had mixed motives. He also, maybe, maybe Paul can help me out here. I mean, Paul came to Jerusalem with bags of gold to give to the poor. Paul has resources. He has friends. Maybe some of Paul's friends could bail him out as a political prisoner. I I can hold him here, and if holding him here creates more resources, I just might do that. That's one of his motives. Witness Protection Program, verse 27. When two years had passed... Paul is set on the sidelines here in Caesarea for two years. He's not free to go into all the world to share the gospel. When the two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus. That's the next Roman governor in Israel. Because that's when Felix is recalled to Rome for his violent treatment of the Jewish people in the city of Caesarea. So within two years, there's a new governor, and Paul's still there. He's still there uh, under house arrest. So how about some lessons? First of all, first lesson, facing the trials of life with Christ develops strong Christian character we've kind of seen this a number of different ways. There's a number of different ways of saying things and sometimes just saying it slightly different helps us. Um, it's pretty clear from the book of Acts. Those who follow Christ face difficulty and trials and struggles, sometimes persecution, um, sometimes torture, sometimes death. Paul had to continue to face difficulties as a follower of Christ he had been beaten arrested he had been imprisoned he was tried unfairly false information was continually circulated about um, he writes about uh, this idea in Romans 5 verses 3 through 5 he says not only so but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance endurance makes you stronger do, do you know that have you ever experienced difficult things in your life helping you to get stronger? He says, "Then perseverance develops into character, and character develops into hope, and hope doesn't put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hope, into our hearts. Hope. That's what kept Paul going. That's a big difference between hope and despair. It's a big difference. Uh, You can be in a depressing situation and feel feelings of depression. Uh, But hope can make all the difference. Paul had hope. He never gave up. I heard this quote um, about 30 years ago. Man can live about 40 days without food, about three days without water, about eight minutes without air but only a second without hope. It's true. We need hope. Paul had hope. So facing trials of life with Christ develops Christian character. The key is facing the trials with Christ. It's about walking with Christ. And, you know, I just think about this logically. Okay, well, if I walk with Christ, am, am I going to face difficulty? Yeah. If I don't walk with Christ, am I going to face difficulty? Yeah. You wanna, wanna do it alone or with Christ? Um, secondly, sometimes God places us in trials for extended periods of time to accomplish his purposes. Paul gets to, gets to Caesarea. And he gets put on the sidelines for two years in Caesarea. Wouldn't it have been better if Paul could have been free? And going around sharing the gospel, wouldn't more and more people come to faith if Paul had been free? It's not what God intended. Paul is going to be set on the sidelines. And you know what? Then he's going to go to Rome as a Roman prisoner, And be in prison two more years. Four years on the sidelines. Sometimes God places us in trials for extended periods of time. And you know what? It's not because you're a bad person. It's true that sometimes we face difficulties because because of our mistakes. But people who are walking with Christ can go through some really difficult times. And it can just seem like it goes on and on. Versus... Chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, and Paul says, and this is, we looked at this last week, but I want to look at it one more time. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though for now a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. You may be going through difficult times right now. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, God values your faith more than any financial value which is going to perish, even though refined by fire, may result, this is the why, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus is revealed. Your difficulties and your leaning into Christ can bring great honor and glory to Jesus Christ. And that may be God's purpose. That may be enough. Is that okay with you? Third, um, third lesson. Everyone, Christ personally. So, Felix, he had an opportunity to hear the gospel. He had personal conversations with Paul whenever he wanted. I bet there were many, many times he brought Paul in to talk and to ask questions and uh, to probe. You know, I don't think he was probably always serious, but I think he was serious enough. And then his conclusion was. I think I will wait until a more convenient time. You know, there might be some of you who have thought about placing their faith in Christ. Maybe you have thought about it. You've, you've heard about Christianity and, and um, you understand some of it. And maybe you would like to place your faith in Christ. You don't have to be like Felix and just keep waiting for a more convenient time. This is a good time. Let me remind you of... Some of the basic things the Bible tells us about how to become a Christian or how to place your faith in Christ. The first thing is, we are all sinners. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Everybody is a sinner. All of us. We all fall. A sinner means God has standards and I fall short. And every human being falls short. There was one named Jesus that did not. Secondly, our sin separates us from God and creates a barrier between us. Our sin separates us, and it creates an obstacle. It keeps us from God. Uh, Romans 6:23, "For the wages of sin is death. The consequences for our sin is death. Death is separation, separation from God. Physical death is separation of the body and the spirit, the body and the soul. Spiritual death is eternal separation from God. Jesus called it hell. Isaiah 59, verse 2, Isaiah says, but your iniquities, your sin, have separated you from your God. Your sin has hidden His face from you so that He will not hear. You know, sometimes people want God to help them, but they haven't come to God on His terms, and He doesn't hear. He doesn't have a hearing problem, He Sin is just a barrier. It's an obstacle. It just shuts down. There is no relationship uh, when sin is in the picture. Thirdly, God has removed sin through the death of his son, Jesus. This is the good news. That I'm a sinner, that's true. That I'm separated, that's bad news. The good news is Jesus removes the barrier. Romans five eight. but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It was because of his love. I don't understand that, why he would love me. He died for me. He died in my place. What I deserved was death. The wages of sin is death. Those are the consequences that I deserved. He took my death. He died for me. He died for us. He died for you. He died for every person. Because Jesus Christ is God, his life is infinitely valuable, and it's bigger than the sin penalty, no matter how big the sin penalty gets, okay? I want to see if I can illustrate that. Christ died for our sins. He died in my place. He took my consequence. I recently read of a story of uh, Chelsea, Russell, a 33-year-old Denver attorney, who was on a houseboat with her family and her 2-year-old son fell overboard. Obviously, mom jumps in to save her son. And it took a significant amount of time. The the, the water was kind of shallow, 7 or 8 feet deep. It took a significant amount of time to turn the houseboat around. Her brother was driving the houseboat. He came back as soon as possible. He found the son, found his nephew, and he pulled his nephew out of the water. And this two-year-old was standing on his mom's chest. And when they pulled her out of the water, she was unconscious and already dead. And she was holding her son above water, and she died for him. And that was an accident. But Jesus died for you. He took your place. He he paid for a penalty for you. And um, he is willing to offer his life to you right now. The fourth thing is, God's one requirement for eternal salvation is to believe in his son, Jesus, and his death on the cross. Uh, Very simply, John 3, 16. Whosoever, that means you, that means any person, anybody can believe. Whosoever believes in him, in Jesus Christ, and what Jesus has done on the cross, shall not perish, but have eternal life. heaven. Forgiveness of sins. An eternal relationship with God. A new beginning. I'll just look at one more verse, John 5, 24. Jesus said these words, and he made this promise. He said, "'Verily, verily, I say to you, "'whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me "'has eternal life.'" Whoever believes what God has said about his Son Jesus came, died on the cross, paid the penalty for our sins. If you believe, here's the promise. Have eternal life right now. Present tense. Will not be judged. Future, promise, guaranteed. Requirement, believe. Lastly, has crossed over from death to life. When a person believes, They've already crossed over to life. They are out of the sphere of death, now into the sphere of life. Anyone can place their faith in Christ. Anyone can do that today. I'd like to close our service by giving us an opportunity. If there's anybody here, some of you have placed your faith in Christ, some of you have not. It's just an invitation. And the way you can place your faith in Christ... Uh, It's about trust. That's how we started. It's about faith. To have a relationship with God requires our faith, our trust. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. I'd like to say a prayer as an expression of faith. That's what it is. It's an expression of faith. If it makes sense to you, you could pray that prayer with me silently and privately in your own heart, but you can talk to God from your heart and make that prayer yours, and you can place your faith in Christ. I'll go through it two times. The first time is just so you can understand the prayer. The second time, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. The first time, you don't have to. just The first time, just look at me. Here's the prayer. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. Can you agree with God that you, you have sinned? I admit to God that I'm a sinner. I thank you that Jesus Christ died for me in my place. I deserve it. I trust Jesus right now to pay the penalty for my sin. And I want to invite Jesus to lead my life, to help me be the person he wants me to be. It's that simple. It's not magical, but it's an expression of faith. Can you make it personal so it's an expression of your faith? Let's uh, all bow together and um, just, uh, if you know Jesus, you can pray for others right now. If you'd like to know Jesus in a personal way and begin a relationship with God, i would encourage you to pray silently from your heart with me. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I thank you that Jesus Christ died for me. He died in my place, and I deserved it. And I trust Jesus. I believe in Jesus. I trust Him right now to pay the penalty for my sin. And right now, I invite Jesus to lead my life in the days ahead so that He can help me be the person. He wants me to be. If you prayed with me right now, if you prayed that prayer, would you mind just slipping up your hand so I could see? If you prayed along with me, just slip up your hand. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Gracious God, I thank you for uh, the people who prayed along with me and I, this morning, and I pray that you will uh, just give them a sense of your presence right now a sense of your forgiveness, a sense that something new has begun and that you'll be working in their lives to help them to follow you and to be the person that you want them to be. For all of us, God, I just thank you for the gift of salvation. I thank you that you loved each of us, no matter what our background has been. I thank you that you've offered us forgiveness because of Jesus. We give you praise. That's why we come. That's why we worship. Help us to live in ways that honor you. For Jesus' sake, amen.